Amen. Thank you. Please take your Bibles and remain standing and turn to Psalms 103. Psalms 103. In the light of Father's Day, um, this verse uh, has attracted my attention, I believe directed by the Holy Spirit uh, to preach on this morning. And it's out of Psalms 103. And we'll be reading verses 8 through 14. 8 through 14. And I'll be reading out of the ESV. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. Heavenly Father, we have now opened your word, we have worshiped in spirit and truth, and we now come before you, Father, praying that your Holy Spirit would instruct us. Give me the words to speak this morning so that this word would come alive in our hearts and that we would write it upon our hearts and so that we would walk in it. And so, Father, we're thankful that you are our heavenly Father and that you are our example as earthly fathers. And so, Father, let us receive that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And as with every June, we celebrate Father's Day, or as I call it, Father's Day weekend. It begins Friday, sometimes Thursday, works its way all the way through Sunday. That's because I like to go fishing back in the day. But in fact, everyone here has two things in common. You have a mother and you have a father. And if it wasn't true, you wouldn't be here. And for some of us, we have had the perfect dad. He would always play catch with us. He would always take us fishing. He would always show us how to use his tools and allow us to use his tools. He would show us how to mow the yard. He was always there when the chips were down, always encouraging, always lifting up. He was always there. For others, dad was always supportive and tried very hard to attend as many programs as he could and support you in every endeavor that you had. But because he worked long hours, he wasn't always available, but he was always there to encourage you. Still others had fathers who were more present than a father. He worked long hours, and when he was home, he was so tired, he couldn't. all he could do was sit in front of the TV and wasn't really available to you when you needed him. Some, sadly have even had unloving fathers, hard fathers, who were low in praise, high in criticism, who never seemed to have a word of encouragement. And even sadder, some of us don't even know their real fathers. They might have left before we were born or shortly thereafter. And I do not mean by identifying several different types of fathers to bring up bad memories this morning, but I wanted to merely point out 
that with fathers, it can be a mixed bag. They all come in different shapes. They all come in different sizes. They all come in different demeanors. They all come in different temperaments. They all come in different personalities. And they all come in different levels of commitment. Some are great. Some are good. Some not so good. Some not at all. No matter who your dad is or was, or what type of father he is or was, I want you to take this opportunity this morning to speak to those fathers who are here today and some that will be fathers and encourage you on this Father's Day by reflecting on the attributes that we see within our text this morning that describe our heavenly Father and to follow them as He is our example. It was once said that we view our Heavenly Father through the lens of our earthly father, which is an eisegetical view of God, and as a result, we'll never really see who He really is. It's almost a skewed version. I did that early in my walk. I viewed my Heavenly Father as I understood my earthly father, and it wasn't until I began to understand who my Heavenly Father really was or really is, excuse me, that I begin to understand that he's not like my earthly father. Far from it. Instead of looking at our heavenly father through the lens of our earthly father, we should strive to exemplify the attributes of our heavenly father. And within Psalms 103, at the very heart of Psalms 103, we see three key attributes that we should exemplify as fathers towards our children. And in verse 8, we see the very first one, and that is the attribute of mercy. Of mercy. One of the most compassionate attributes of our Heavenly Father, as He has many, is His mercy. I say an attribute because God doesn't do mercy. He is mercy. It is who He is. It flows from Him, naturally. Now, as it relates to mercy, we tend to have a skewed view of this attribute. As A.W. Tozer commented in his book, The Attributes of God, that sometimes we misunderstand our Heavenly Father by seeing Him as a vengeful and judgmental and angry God of the Old Testament. Compared to the New Testament, where we see Him as soft and kind and gentle and loving. And yet, did you know that the term mercy is found more in the Old Testament than it is in the New? How many times did we see God the Father dealing with His people could have easily written them off? And yet, what did He do? He sent a judge. He sent a king. He sent a prophet, always attempting to call back his children into a loving relationship with him. And how many times did they turn their back on the Lord? And yet every time, because of his mercy, he called them back. He called them back. And I think we just, again, have a skewed view of God our Father. 
I did when I was a kid. I always thought God was up there in heaven with a cocked fist waiting to happen, waiting for me to mess up so we can lower the boom on me. It's not because my father was abusive. He never once hit me. But because of the faith that I grew up in, that's how he was presented at times. That's what stuck. One of the amazing things about mercy is that it is a temperance between the judgment of God and the forgiveness of God. We know that God's word is imperative, that we are to follow it. It holds us accountable, and we'll be judged by it. And since God is immutable, which means he never changes, we are held to the judgment of that word. And yet, he's also a forgiving God. When we confess our sins, when we violate his word, and we fail to walk in it. And what tempers his judgment is his mercy. And from it flows forgiveness. I believe it was Thomas Aquinas who once said, justice without mercy is cruelty. How true is that? And so within the attribute of mercy, we never really receive what we fully deserve. And I'm sure you've heard that definition of mercy before. But there's more to mercy than just tempering God's judgment. For from it we receive His whole benevolent nature. Listen to what one commentator said in relationship to this when he says this. God is merciful in the most tender and affectionate manner. He has bowels of mercy which yearn towards his people as those of a tender parent to a child. As the word signifies, his mercy is free without any motive or merit in men to engage it. He delights in showing it. He consistently bestows it. It is the source of all good things. It is communicated through His Son, Jesus Christ, every day. And just listening to that, there is far more to mercy than temper judgment. In fact, when we look Within our text, we see three precious actions that flow from God's mercy. And one of them is, He is slow to anger. The phrase slow to anger used within our text means that in the midst of our sin and disobedience, God's initial action is judgment. No, it's mercy. It's grace. Not anger. Now that is not how we tend to view God at times, is it? In fact, I'm still renewing my mind in certain aspects of that. I have always felt, like I said, that God was waiting for me to mess up. And when I did, I was just waiting for the boom. I was waiting for consequences. I was waiting for something bad to happen to me. And it never did. Because he's slow 
to anger. It's not his first course of action. It may be ours. For those that have children, I can understand that. But it's not his first course of action. God has never and will never snap. We might. He does have a righteous anger. We know that. Scripture speaks of it. And in the face of persistent and impotent sin, he will deal with that, with discipline. But it is not his first and only reaction. And the reason is because he's merciful. And as earthly fathers, we should always be slow to anger in dealing with our children. One of my biggest regrets as a father is I was always not slow in my anger. I remember one day I came home from work and we were living in Minot at the time. Now we're out in Glenburn and I had a wooden garage door. And my daughter was uh, playing hockey. She loves hockey. And she was a goalie. And she also played defensive. And for those that know hockey, and I pulled up in the driveway and on my wooden garage door, which was white, was a chalk outline of a goal. She tagged my garage door with hockey graffiti. And as I pulled up, I could feel the anger swell up. What was she thinking? What is she doing? And when I came out, she was going to show me how she had perfected her slap shot. And I yelled at her. What were you thinking? Look what you did. You go grab the hose and a scrub brush and you get that off my garage door now. And I walked inside. I had a perfect opportunity to be slow in anger. I had a perfect opportunity to sit and watch my daughter perfect her slap shot. I had the perfect opportunity to sit down with her and say, honey, I know what you were doing here, but we got to remember that when you put chalk on a white wooden garage door, it's extremely difficult to get off. And now I'm going to have to paint the garage door, and I would like for you to help me. She didn't do it to be mean or malicious. She didn't do it to be disobedient or disruptive. She, it, she did it because she thought it was a good idea. She needed a goal. There was some chalk. Idea popped in her head. She became an artist, not a very good one. And I reflect back on those moments with regret. And I learned a few things in life, as life has tough lessons for us to learn, as it relates to being quick, to being angry with your children, it tends to shut them down. It stifles their confidence. Because they're fearful of making a mistake. It instills fear that ought not to be there. It makes them prone to conflict avoidance and causes them to be risk avoidance as well. 
Now, as a grandfather, I'm very patient with my grandchildren. And my son, Seth, said, where was this man when I was growing up? And he had a good laugh with that. But there's truth in that statement. And so the reason why I share this story and I tell on myself is for you new fathers. Don't let anger be your first reaction. If you need to, walk away. Count to ten. Pray to the Lord. Follow His example. And if discipline needs to happen, discipline needs to happen. But make sure it's always done in love. With the hope of restoring. Remember, as we learned in James chapter 1, verse 20, for the anger of a, of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. My daughter didn't see God. She's seen an angry man. And I had the opportunity to show her the love of the Father. Another aspect that flows from the attribute of mercy is a desire to always forgive. Praise the Lord that from His mercy we have forgiveness, as we see in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. It's one of the most comforting aspects of His attribute of mercy. He's always ready to forgive. When sin first entered into the world, God's plan of redemption was initiated immediately with His Son, destined to come and be a sacrifice to shed His blood, to hang on the cross for the remission of our sin and to reconcile us back to the Father. I think a lot of times when we see Christ on the cross and we celebrate Christ on the cross and we reflect on Christ on the cross, especially during communion, we forget that part of that work was to reconcile us back to the Father. And the reason for that is because sin separated us from the Father. It separated you and me. It drew enmity between us and God. And because God is so full of love and so full of mercy, He couldn't stand that, and so He had to redeem us. And so He sent His Son to do just that. What compassion is that? What love is that? And when He forgives us, remember that He puts our sin away entirely. They are so removed that they linger no more. And as a result, we are safe from the condemnation of our sins as if they had not been committed at all. And this is why there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus because through Christ we are forgiven by way of His shed blood and sacrifice. And we are now presented faultless before the Father with exceeding joy. Because we're reconciled with Him. A great example of this is the prodigal son that we'll be covering this Wednesday. We won't go into detail of it today. But when the prodigal son returned from his life of sin, squandering his inheritance, his father didn't scold him. He didn't banish him. He didn't discard him. He didn't throw rocks at him. Go away. Get out of here. He didn't send his servants after him to chase him away. You see, the father knew that the son had made a mistake. And one in which his son freely admitted. 
And because of his mercy, the Father fully forgave him, blessed him, received him without reservation. And that is a parable of how our Father is and how he is with us. And that shows the forgiveness that flows from mercy. The third aspect that flows from mercy is compassion. Verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to his children. Compassion used here in this text means the natural affection of the parent for the child, the tender love which is borne by the parent for his offspring, the disposition to care for his needs, the readiness to forgive when an offense has been committed. It is an action, not merely a feeling. A father with compassion will act on behalf of their children when they find themselves in situations where they're needing help. Just as our Heavenly Father responds to our needs for help. For when children cry out, God responds by way of His compassion. You know, Both of my children are married and have children themselves. And as I get older and hopefully I get wiser, my compassion for my children has grown more so than when they were children. Many times, Darla and I would talk about our children and the troubles that they're facing, the adversity that they're facing, the struggle that they're facing, the situation that they're facing, and I just want to swoop in and take care of it because I don't, it's not about taking care of their issue. It's not about controlling their lives. It's about removing the pain or the discomfort that I see in their hearts as a result. And that's the compassion that God has continued to refine in my heart towards my children. But Darla being in her wise in those situations, no, sometimes we have to let our children learn. That's also a part of compassion. To allow them to go through a difficult circumstance that will bring about an understanding and a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. As much as we would like to go in and manifest that to happen. We have to allow the Lord to do His work. Listen, compassion is to feel what others feel and then act on that feeling towards them. That's compassion. And the true test of compassion for parents is when your children hurt, you hurt. When they suffer, you suffer. When they struggle, we struggle. And the reason why we do this is because just as we are but dust and we know our children's frame and that they are but dust, our Heavenly Father knows that we also are but dust. And as earthly fathers, we must never lose this for our children. That doesn't mean we always fix their errors. doesn't mean we always solve their problems or take away the hard lesson, but it does mean to pray for them continuously by way of intercessory prayer. And it also means that you are there for them, that you stand with them, and that you support them, and that you encourage them, and that you speak truth 
to them even when that truth hurts. Because you have compassion for their life. You have compassion for their soul. And so just from the attribute of mercy, we see that we are to be tempered in our actions, being slow to anger, the need and desire to forgive, and to always have a compassionate heart towards our children. Luke 6, 26 says, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. The next attribute that we see here in Psalms 103 in verse 8 is the attribute of grace. One of the most precious gifts we have ever received is God's grace. His unmerited favor. And this favor manifests itself not only in salvation, for it is by grace you have been saved, but also in His provision that blesses us in all manners of life. His favor is just not salvific. His favor is benevolent in every aspect of your life. A.W. Tozer again says, Grace is God's goodness, the kindness of God's heart, the goodwill, the, co the cordial benevolence. It is what God is like. In fact, the definition of gracious used here in the text means favorable, kind, benevolent, merciful, disposed to forgive offenses, and impart unmerited blessings. That's your Father. That's your Heavenly Father towards you. Unmerited blessings. Just think of that for a second. I didn't deserve that, Lord. I know you didn't. But because of my grace, I want to bless you. Have you ever been blessed in a way you never thought that you deserved? Praise be to God, for He is the shower of those blessings. You know, my father was a very gracious father. And I lost him last year. And I reflect on him more now than I ever did when he was alive. And I realize what kind of an example he was. He was an awesome example. And he was gracious. He never gave me what I deserved. Boy, did I deserve a lot. He always hoped that I would see the right thing to do as he taught me and allow that to guide my actions. And maybe along the way, do a little bit of correction, a little bit of adjustment. He was a mechanic, you know. He wanted to bring me back into tolerances sometimes. And he also allowed me to face consequences for my actions so that I would learn, but never to the point where it would destroy me. He was always tempered. He was always redemptive. I recall, and some of you have heard this story. Again, I'll be telling on myself, but there's a point to this story that I learned yesterday that I never knew. Some of you may know that I was thrown in jail at 18. About 1 o'clock in the morning, I had to call my father to bail me out. Soon my brother and my father came and picked me up, and my dad never said a thing. All the way home. Not one thing. I was embarrassed. I was convicted. I was sorrowful. And he knew it. He sensed it and seen it. Enough said. 
is how my dad would say. I was really waiting for him to lay into me because that's about a 50-minute drive from Williston to Watford. He had all the time in the world, and he was up and he was awake. And I was waiting, but it never came. Years later, when I was speaking, in fact, it was last year when I was talking with my family as we were going through my father's stuff. They didn't have the money to bail me out, and it was a cash bail system at the time. So he had to call friends in the middle of the night, humble himself, and ask for money in order to get me out. And it was only like $250, but back then, I'm not going to date myself. That was a little bit of money. And the thing that I learned yesterday, talking with my brother, is he could have left me there. In fact, some people said, let him sit the night. Let him learn his lesson. There's no need to go up there at 1 o'clock in the morning and get your son out of jail. He needs to learn a hard lesson. And being in jail with other criminals would be a good one to learn. But my brother told me last night, he said, my dad said, I cannot allow my son to sit in jail when I can do something about it. I can't allow him to sit there with criminals. I have to get him out. And I'll do what I can to do it. Brothers, sisters, fathers, that's grace. That's grace. And our Father did the same for us. I cannot allow them to live in their sin. I'm going to do something about it. And He did. That's grace. So within our text this morning, we see two attributes our Heavenly Father possesses that lends to His temperate action, forgiving nature, compassion heart, compassionate heart, and unmerited favor. And both of these attributes and actions produced are sourced from another attribute of God, from which all attributes flow. And that is His love. His love. God's love guides all of His actions towards us and His children and flows and motivates every one of His perfect attributes towards you. Everything flows from His love. His mercy flows from His love. His grace flows from His love. His slowness to anger flows from His love. His kindness towards you and me flows from His love. It is because of His love that He is not forever angry with you and will not always chide you and correct you. It is His love that does not deal with us in accordance with our sins. And once forgiven, He remembers them no more. He holds them no more in account to you. He doesn't bring them up years later. Remember when you did that? No. As the east is from the west, He remembers them no more. He's removed them. And it's because of His love. And it's His love that He's compassionate towards us. It remembers that our frame is weak and that we are but dust. It's His love. And fathers, it should be the same with us as well. Everything should flow from our love towards our children. And when we don't, that's when we're not going to be slow to anger. That's when we're not going to be compassionate. That's when we're not going to be 
forgiving. In fact, as a Christian, as a basis, everything should flow from love in our lives. If we simply say, but also this love is just not an action. It's, it's, it's an action as much as it is a statement or an emotion. It has to be demonstrated in order for it to be real. If we simply say we love and we do not show it, there's no heart in our expression of it. It's just words. It's a sentiment. It's a feeling. Fathers, your children always want to hear that you love them, but they are looking for you to demonstrate it in your actions and your reactions. Again, we see this with the prodigal son. When he was far off, love the way the Bible writes it, all the little details are in there for a reason. It's just not literary license. When he was far off, the father stood there and said, Hey, who are you? Come on up. No. What did he do? He ran to him. He ran to his son. He didn't wait for him to walk up. He didn't give him that mile for the walk of shame. He ran to him. And when he got to him, he hugged him. He kissed him. And when his son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son, the father loved him and dressed him and placed rings on his fingers and shoes on his feet and prepared a feast for him and his son because he was once dead and now he is alive. Did you notice in that story, if you ever read and study it, the father never says, I forgive you, son. It was his actions that demonstrated his forgiveness. Because he loved him. I cannot imagine the heartache of that father when his son took his inheritance and he heard that he was living in a world and spending his money on things that were not of God. And then only to see him afar off. All those nights of prayer, all those nights of interceding, all those nights of caring and heartache. And here comes his son. That's love. That's love. Love is a precious gift we have been received. Love is a precious gift we have received. For we are able to love because the Father first loved us. He taught us how to truly love in a agape way. And so as fathers, we need to always love. And so as we examine our text this morning, we see in exploring Psalms 103 the attributes of mercy, the attributes of grace, and the attributes of love that flow from our Father. It is my hope this morning as we celebrate Father's Day, we will walk and extend to our children what our Heavenly Father has graciously shown, demonstrated, and given us as an example. And guess what? brothers and sisters, specifically fathers. You don't do it in your strength. He's given you the Holy Spirit 
so that you can walk in mercy, you can walk in grace, you can walk in love. How precious is that? How precious is that? So in closing, I would like to share a verse that I believe encapsulates everything that we've been talking about here this morning, and it's found in Nehemiah 17, uh, Nehemiah 9, 17. And it says, But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. How precious is that? Happy Father's Day, everybody. Or to the fathers, not everybody's a father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it guides us. Thank you that it instructs us. Thank you that it convicts us. Thank you that, Father,